0: (laughs) Caitlin. Hi, Alex. How are you doing? I'm doing just fine. How are you? I'm good. I'm super excited to start this. So, welcome to Cryptic Queens. This is our new podcast that we are very excited to share with you. And it's all about local legends and folklore. And each week we're going to pick a different location across the globe and talk about the local monster or ghost story or cryptid of that place. Each week, Alex and I will each pick a different local legend from the same area, and we won't tell each other about it until we start recording each week, so it'll be just as much a surprise for us as it is for you! Yeah, it's
1: gonna be genuine as fuck. This week, we're going to talk about the Southwest, and specifically Utah. So, Utah is a crazy little place. I used to live there. I lived there for six months. You lived in Moab, right? I did live in Moab. And I was doing an internship there, and I was only doing it three days a week, so I actually had a lot of time to just explore by myself. I did a lot of self-exploration during that time. I was pretty lonely, but it actually turned out being really cool. So... When I was living there, I really started to notice that the mythology and folklore in Utah is way more deeply rooted in everyday life than anywhere else that I've been ever. And I can see why, though, because the land is absolutely gorgeous and it just feels special, like extra in a way and not in like the weird... Hip trendy way of saying extra, <laughs> but just like you know, I, I really don't know how to explain it. But I spent a lot of time in those canyons, and you can just feel something there. Ooh, um, it's really fascinating, and it's one of my favorite places on Earth. I guess I'll start going into the history history of Utah, um, which is actually pretty universal in this country, meaning you could tell the same story pretty much in any state, and it would be true. So basically just, like, white people coming in and fucking some shit up.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
1: But there is a weird twist that doesn't reflect in other states, which I'll explain right now, and which, why it makes the area so unique. So about 2,000 years ago, the Anasazi, also called the Ancient Ones, were the first residents in Utah, and they were there for about 1,300 years. Before a severe drought, I think, kicked him out. Um, So in early 19th century, which is the 1800s, the main residents of Utah were divided into three main tribes, the Ute, the Paiute, which is basically the water Ute, and the Shoshone. And then there was also the Navajo, which was a little more south. So these First Nations were present when the white settlers came and trapped and did a bunch of trading and they were just like these mountain men that further explored the state plotting and mapping routes as they went all that colonizer bullshit. Uh, Mormons came in the mid 1800s to seek religious freedom and they wanted to go to the place where quote, no one else wanted to go even with the introduction of Mormonism and other sects of Christianity native american folklore and mythology still had a huge impact on the culture of the state and the way people thought about the paranormal of the region and when i was living in utah there's definitely a huge native american presence obviously but honestly the mormon presence is just as big if not bigger so anyway i guess we can kind of go into (laughs) the stories that we're going to cover this week that is my cat.
0: Oh, is that That's your
1: that cat? So my cat's name Carini. is Graney. Me and Caitlin listen to a lot of fish and probably <laughs> talk about them a lot, but not too much. We will spare you.
0: Do you want to go first or do you want me to go first? I feel like yours is going to be really, really good, so I'll go first <laughs> so that we can <laughs> end with a good one. Sounds good. Does that sound I good? Think yours is going to be amazing, too, so... Well, thank you. I've literally never recorded podcasts before in my life. So this is a very new experience. So um thank you for everyone that's out there listening and hasn't turned us off yet. Let's dig in to some cryptids. So for this week I chose the Bear Lake Monster. Mm-hmm. And the Bear Lake Monster is said to haunt the waters of Bear Lake, obviously. Yeah, so it's right on the Utah Idaho border. So the lake actually, half of it lives in Utah and half of it lives in Idaho. And this monster has appeared on both sides of the lake. So it is not confined to one state or another. It um, doesn't believe in humans. No, it doesn't. <laughs> Just as none of us should. Okay, so the myth originally grew from articles written in the 19th century by this guy named Joseph C. Rich, and he was a Mormon colonizer in the area, (laughs) and he reported several second-hand accounts of sightings of the Bear Lake monster over the course of his um, very storied um, publishing career as a newspaper editor. So... Just a little bit of history about the area. So, Bear Lake is a natural freshwater lake on the Idaho-Utah border. It's about 109 square miles in size. And the lake has been called the Caribbean of the Rockies for its unique turquoise blue color, which is due to the refraction of calcium carbonate, a.k.a. limestone deposits, suspended in the lake. So, basically, the properties of the water have led to the evolution of several unique species of fauna and flora that only occur within the lake because of the strange, like, balance of minerals and limestone. That's super cool. Yeah, so, you know, all the science is there to say that this monster <laughs> could actually exist, which is why I was so interested to learn more about it. Um, so... On September 18th, 1907, which happens to be my birthday, I mean, I wasn't alive in 1907, but (laughs) on September 18th, this guy, T.R. Mooney, and his buddy, Fred Horn, wrote into the local paper that that our guy, Joseph C. Rich, was the editor for, and they said, "'The sight I'll never forget. It seemed to be all head, two large eyes, as large as the front of a wagon wheel.'" nose and mouth like a great large fish and its arms seem to come out on either side of its head where the ears naturally would be so like this so it's all head i'm picturing like that one um pokemon gyarados that had those like funky ear things i know exactly that's what i'm picturing (laughs) yeah so that's what i think this monster probably looks like okay um And then the hind legs were long and bent like that of a kangaroo. And the hind end was like the tip end of a monster fish. So it does have legs. Um, It's not just like a serpent. It has legs. Uh, Okay. So one article from 1956 says, Not all descriptions of the Bear Lake monster agree, but one team of folklorists stated that it is reported to resemble a serpent but with legs about 18 inches long on which it marauds along the shoreline, so it can come in and out of the water. Oh my god! Imagine seeing that at night. Right. Right? This is so much more than, like, a Loch Ness monster that's stuck in the water. This guy can crawl out onto the land. That is an amphibious nightmare.
1: (laughs) Right?
0: One article reported that the creature had a large undulating body with about 30 feet of exposed surface of a light cream color moving swiftly through the water. Others reported seeing a monster-like animal, which went faster than a locomotive, and had a head variously described as being similar to a cow, otter, crocodile, or walrus minus the tusks. Oh my god, so so many different things. Okay. Yes, nobody <laughs> Nobody has, yeah, everybody has a different opinion on what it looks Great. like. Um, the size was reported to be at least 50 feet long, and certainly certainly not less than 40 and some sightings even spoke of a second member of the species and smaller baby monsters as well. Oh, how cute. Okay. So this isn't just a lonely Nessie. This is a family of cryptids <laughs> in this lake that is turquoise. So,
1: so you said that it's 50 feet long?
0: Yes, and faster than a fucking train. That's ridiculous. I don't want to meet him. I don't, don't want to know him. Just, just kind of want to peep at them. Yes. <laughs> Okay, so here's a little bit more history of the Bear Lake Valley area. Um, Native Americans called that area home for more than 12,000 years, settling along the shores of the massive lake and moving seasonally in search of game and edible plants in the surrounding mountains. Tribes included the Shoshone, Ute, yeah. Ute yeah. and Bannock, and they hunted and fished in the valley and camped along the lake shore. Eventually, they began trading with other tribes and with the mountain men who began frequently visiting Bear Lake in the 1800s. Um, Those who worked for the Northwest Fur Company first came to what they called Black Bear Lake in 1818. About a decade later, the southern end of the lake with shady cottonwoods and freshwater springs became the site of the famed Bear Lake Rendezvous, um, which happened during the summer of... 1827 and 1828, where thousands of hardy buckskin clad men, including notable (laughs) figures like Jedediah Smith and William Ashley, joined with Native Americans for weeks beside the lake at today's Rendezvous Beach. They swapped stories, traded furs and supplies, sipped fire water, and indulged in dancing, singing, horse races, and gambling. That sounds like a good ass Um, time. Right? It was like a party with people that are very different from each other. It sounds a little like a fish lot. I kind of enjoy the idea. You know, that is Um, a
1: great representation of what America should be.
0: More lot. More more lot. lot. Less hate. More lot. Okay, so after the first Mormons settled in besides the Great Salt Lake in 1847, the newcomers began branching out and exploring the, a- the area, and with thousands of migrants headed west through Bear Lake Valley, none of them stopped and planted roots. So in 1863, Mormon leader Brigham Young sent an initial contingent of Mormon settlers to Bear Lake, where they established a city called Paris. Um, And that was the valley's first community after negotiating a peace treaty with the Shoshone Indian tribe that left the southern part of the valley in their possession. Hmm. So, the earliest mention of the Bear Lake monster in writing comes from an 1868 article from the Desert News, which announced that the native peoples of the land have a tradition concerning a strange serpent-like creature inhabiting the waters of Bear Lake. Now it seems that this water devil has yet again made an appearance. A number of our white settlers declare they have seen it with their own eyes. This Bear Lake monster, they now call it, is causing a great (laughs) deal of excitement up here. That was our guy, Joseph C. Rich. And he went on to relate several different sightings of the creature in this article. Um, So Joseph Rich shared a story of Mr. S.M. Johnson, who lived nearby and was traveling along the road with inside of the lake. When he saw something in the lake, which he thought was a drowned person, so he got off the road and went closer to the beach. Due to high waves, Mr. Johnson thought the object would wash ashore, but it didn't, and eventually, two or three feet of some kind of animal that he had never seen before raised out above the water. Oh my god. He didn't... Yep. He didn't see any part of the body except the neck and head, which had ears or bunches the size of a pint cup. So that's like the... Pokemon ears, Um, those funky looking fan-shaped gills or ears or whatever those are supposed to be. Um, The high waves washed over the thing's head, causing it to spout water from its nose or mouth, but didn't move any closer to shore. The observer took this to indicate a huge body which must have maintained contact with the bottom of the lake. Um, Oh my god. And the author said, this is Mr. Johnson's version exactly as he told me. So, that was our Shit. first sighting. Okay. This article created such a stir in Salt Lake City, and within a month, a new staff member quizzed many Bear Lake people and found hardly a person that doubted it. Wow. So, everybody believed it right away. Everybody was in on this monster and wanted him to be real you know, and believed he was real. Classic cryptid
1: story here. I love it. Yes. I fucking love it.
0: Yes. Yeah, so LDS church leaders took a real interest in the monster, and they decided to visit the area on a preaching tour, Um, so they took the opportunity to speak firsthand with the residents of the region, and they stated that they declared that the testimony that had been given by so many individuals who have seen the creature in so many places and under a variety of circumstances, um, the locals considered the story to be indisputable, and... Even the LDS church leaders went away being so convinced because everybody believed it so so heartily. Everyone convinced them that this monster really existed. So the Desert News continued to publish articles about the monster. Sometimes they were skeptical, sometimes they were defensive, um, but most local people actually believed in it. Um, The Salt Lake Tribune even went as far as to quip that the monster was twin brother to the devil, oh and of course, and cousin to Brigham Young.
1: Who's Brigham Young? Please, Brigham Young is my one ignorance.
0: of the. Brigham Young is like one of the most important Mormon guys. Oh, I don't know exactly what he did, but I, guess... I know that he started a university or a university is named after him. But twin brother to the devil and cousin to Brigham Young. <laughs> I don't know that if amazing. that means you. Right, like, does that mean you don't like Brigham Young or what? Like, maybe, maybe they were just stating a matter of fact, you know? Maybe, maybe. I mean, who knows? (laughs) Who knows? Okay, so interest was high enough that at one point, even um, okay, so the LDS Church president was Brigham Young. He was the head honcho of the church. So interest was high enough. At one point, even Brigham Young decided to investigate the claims to find out whether the story was an honest tale of a serpent or only a fish story. And he went so far as to send a large rope to Paris, Idaho, right on the, you know, right on the lake, to aid in capturing the monster. So he sent, like, a giant-ass rope so that people could try to hunt this monster. So he wasn't the only person interested in capturing the creature. Another local resident proposed using a large baited hook attached to a 20-foot cable and then 300 yards of one-inch rope, at the end of which was to be a large buoy with a flag staff inserted and an anchor to keep it in a perpendicular position. It just reminds From me of, the like Jaws. Right? It's totally Jaws. <laughs> And from the billy, 100 yards, of three-quarter inch rope was to be extended to a tree on a shore. They measured this out. They figured out exactly what it was going to take. Incredible. Um, and when it was captured, they were hoping that the monster could be exploited for its wondrous proportions in the show business. Oh my God, and, fucking humans. <laughs> yeah. And even P.T. Barnum was interested in acquiring this monster, wow. um, from Barnum and Bailey's circus. Right. Um... So, eventually, interest died down, and the subject and phenomenon faded from public memory. 26 years following the original article and allegations, Joseph C. Rich was thrust out of his role at the newspaper over his harsh criticisms of the Mormon church. So, he was not a Mormon, and, um, yeah, he basically got ousted from his job at the newspaper because of... He was talking shit, basically. (laughs) Um, and on the day of his firing, Rich angrily proclaimed that his story had all been a wonderful first-class lie. So he recanted. He recanted. But, 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 (sighs) sightings of the Bear Lake Monster continued even after he claimed that he fabricated the original sightings as a hoax. So, a 1907 letter published in Logan, Utah, um... In a newspaper called The Logan Republican, claimed that two men had seen the ba- Bear Lake Behemoth. And this is a big, long chunk from that newspaper that I was able to dig up and find on the internet. And I'm so oh happy God, I'm that so I excited. found it. Yeah, it, you can find newspapers from 1907. Who knew? I cannot so, wait to hear it. <laughs> okay. So this was T.R. Mooney and Fred Horn. They said we camped on the eastern shore of Bear Lake just after sundown. After getting our horses tied to a large tree near the water's edge and fed, we started to prepare our supper. My partner, Mr. Horn, called my attention to something out in the lake about half a mile. As we watched it, it would sink into the water for a second, then out again. The lake being perfectly calm, we couldn't account for the strange object. But it came nearer and nearer to us and still going down and in and out of the water. It was now close enough to see that it was some water monster. We grabbed our thirty thirty 30 rifles and each of us fired at it, but could not see that we hit him, although he turned slightly to the south. Before we had time to fire again, he turned toward us. Our horses were now very frightened, one of which broke loose. We stepped back into the trees a few feet and both fired, and my God, for the growl that beast let, <laughs> then started, <laughs> then started in towards us like a mad elephant. Holy shit we ran up the hillside to a slift of rock and then began to shoot as rapidly as possible so it was, with every it was
1: chasing sh- after them on land yes
0: it yes oh cuz it has legs it can get out onto the whale. oh my god <laughs> with every shot he seemed to get more strength and growl more devilishly the animal was now so close to shore that we couldn't see it for the trees We thought of our horse that was tied to the tree, and after reloading our guns, we ran down to protect him. Just as we reached our campfire, we could see that the ugly monster raised his front paw and struck our horse (gasps) to the ground. No! I know! I'm so sad for the horse! No, that's all I care about. Yeah, all I care about in any story is the the animals. animals, Of course. Right? Before we could move, he grabbed the horse with his two front paws, opened its monstrous mouth, and crashed its teeth into it like a bull terrier would a mouse. Holy fucking shit. After tearing the horse badly, he made an awful howl and then was gone, plowing back through the water. There was so much blood from the mangled horse, we could not tell whether the beast of the lake was bleeding or not. Oh my god. Right? Isn't that crazy? Dude. Dude. So a monster big enough to munch a horse is a big monster. Uh, yeah, because horses are f- fucking massive. Horses are like a thousand pounds, right? So I have no idea,
1: to... but they're fucking huge.
0: <laughs> I can't estimate numbers. I could I totally either. be wrong.
1: <laughs> I'm so fucking like, literally, I'll see a crowd of people or, you know, those like games that you used to play in school where you had like those jar of marbles and you had to pick. Like, you had to figure out how how much were in the marbles, and you'd win, like, some candy or something.
0: Right. I would. It's like,
1: I would be so far off. I'd be like, oh, 50. And the answer would be like 327.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I I have no concept. I have no concept. Yeah, I'm not a numbers person. (laughs) Same. Clearly. Me too. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Okay, so after reading the previous account in the newspaper, another man. Whose name is maybe one of my favorite names I've ever heard? His name is Aquila C. Nebecker. Wow, that's. Nebecker? Nebecker? I'm not sure. Um, but Akila, that's a name you don't hear these days. With with, um, with A? K? Or a C? A Q U. A Q U I L L A. Aquila? 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 Anyway. I don't know. Anyways, I'm just going to call him Nebecker. Okay. Because that's I think so that's much. <laughs>
1: so much easier.
0: <laughs> <I don't> know, <laughs> no. I'm trying my best. People back then had weird ass names. <laughs> um, okay, so Nebeker came to the same. Oh, Nebeker claimed the same night that the monster killed the horse. The monster also came to the Nebeker ranch, which was around the lake just a little ways. Um, it overturned the pig pen, devoured eight of his sheep and goats. And terribly lacerated two of Nebecker's finest milkers. I'm guessing that's cows. Oh,
1: I, thought, I yeah. thought he just had, I thought he just had like people that were designated milkers. but Like my,
0: milkmaids yeah. that the monster just like, two of my finest milkmaids yeah. just got eaten by this monster. That would make more sense if they were just cows.
1: <laughs> Anyways.
0: Yeah, I think it was cows. Cool. Um So the people in the house saw the terrible monster, which was described as easily 50 feet long, 15 feet high, and covered with scales like armor plate. What? This time they said he had countless arms and legs. Um, Like a centipede. Maybe. Maybe. (laughs) Um, When it came closer to the house, its eyes took on a greenish hue and showed a ghastly ghoulish appearance, and its tail switched back and forth so fast it caused the air to swirl around like a cyclone. What? Um... Yeah, so he's got wind powers, too. Um, he's the Avatar. Okay, I see. He's the Avatar. <laughs> we already know he's good at water, so now he's good at air, too. Yep. So, N- Nebecker tried to think of anything to divert the monster's interest to protect those living in the house. Maybe, he quickly thought, pies would do it, <laughs> but sensed it wouldn't do. <laughs> which, <laughs> I love. He's like, maybe if I feed him a pie, he'll like us. You know,
1: which... I mean... Maybe that monster just was fucking hungry for some sweets, man.
0: Yeah, well, listen to this because it gets better. Okay, I'm really excited. Um, according to Nebecker, at the crucial moment of danger, he noticed his large graphophone, which is like an old-timey way to play music, standing on the table ready for use. An inspiration struck me, he said, and I called to mind the value of music in taming the snakes and wild animals of the forest and decided to try it. So, hastily winding up the machine, I opened wide the front door, squarely in the face of the approaching monster, and turned loose my music. As it happened, the record on the machine was that incomparable tune, Home Sweet Home, and its strains floated out on the midnight air, and I noticed the monster halted, then stopped. (laughs) His head being low, a reminiscent smile played o'er his features, and as the chorus was reached, we were surprised to see the monster's tail switch round towards his neck. As we watched, we noted a stringed instrument, something like a lyre, at the end of the animal's tail. <laughs> is there like is there like psychedelic mushrooms
1: around this lake or something? I,
0: I mean this is this is nuts to think that oh this monster has a liar at the end of his tail um but he says as home sweet home continued the monster didn't do anything but utilize his several hands in playing an (laughs) accompaniment to that grand old tune ah but it was sweet and as the band played on we really fell in love with the bear lake monster as I moved to his side, the monster seemed to welcome me as a friend. <laughs> and before Home Sweet Home was ended, the animal's head rested on my shoulder, and we were mingling out tears together. So,
1: minutes before this, he chomped on a horse. Right?
0: And his best milkers. <laughs> <laughs> yep. All but right. now they're buddies and crying to music together. It's beautiful. Which... I completely understand. There have been some people that I have not enjoyed being next to for an entire concert. But then some song plays, they play Ripple, and then all of a sudden we're best friends hugging and crying together. (laughs) It happens, man. I get it. I get it. I feel like that
1: person was me at
0: one point. (laughs) (laughs) No, I always liked you. I always liked you. (laughs) All was going splendidly. And I had definitely decided to adopt the animal and make him a member of my family. Oh my but god, it just this, here... this keeps going. I know. It's almost done, okay. I probably but... <laughs> <You're fine. laughs> but just here, sorrow, deep and tearful sorrow, shook the frame of my newly made friend, and he began to weep. Oh Great god. streams of tears poured from his eyes, and finally they flowed so copiously that the monster floated away in them. What the fuck, dude? He literally cried himself a river <laughs> <laughs> and floated away on it, uh,
1: just like the Backstreet Boys song. Yep, was that Backstreet Boys? Yeah. Or was it In Sync? Me a River." I forget, but it's one of those. One of those. I know it was Justin Timberlake, it, but who fucking? I, all the boy bands yeah. are the same. They same. are.
0: They are the same, and I love them all. <laughs> <Same>. <laughs> Um, so, after this experience, Mr. Nebecker requested that the newspaper stop calling him a monster any longer, (laughs) and he's quoted as saying, he is no longer a monster, for he is wondrously human, which I thought is so cute. That's adorable. (laughs) So, later on, a four-year-old claimed to see it in 1937, a Boy Scout leader spoke of seeing it in 1946. Um, over time, the monster has become a beloved part of local folklore, partly due <laughs> to sporadic sightings and partly in jest. For years, um, a Bear Lake monster boat, it was like a tourist boat shaped to look like a Green Lake monster, offered 55-minute scenic cruises of Bear Lake with folklore storytelling, <gasps> so they leaned in. That sounds fucking amazing. I know, we should go oh do my it. God. Um, And then in Garden City, Utah, in 1996, there was a competition organized to have local school children named the Leviathan, and judges decided on the name Isabella, which had been submitted by an eight-year-old girl. That's so cute. Okay. Yes. I love it. Get the kids involved in cryptids early. Raise them right. That's incredible. That reminds me of, like, um,
1: the Never Ending Story. Uh, what, what is that dog dragon called? Falkor. Oh, that's Aww. fantastic.
0: Well, yes. You know, the Bear Lake monster doesn't sound too bad. No. And so I have one final sighting okay. um, that was reported in June 2002 when Bear Lake business owner Brian she claimed to have seen the monster. An article from the Star Tribune states that it happened, as Brian insists, one night, June 2002, as he was anchoring his large pontoon boat, shaped like a sea monster, after days of ferrying tourists around the lake. After throwing the anchor, he saw these two humps in the water about 100 yards from the boat. At first, he thought they might be lost water skis, but they disappeared. Then his boat lifted up. I started to get scared, he said. The next thing I know, a serpent-like creature shot out of the water. He said it had really dark, slimy green skin and deep beet beet red eyes. It went back under the water and made a sound like a roaring bull before taking off. What? (laughs) Yup. Hershey said that he debated whether to tell anyone about his experience, fearing they would think I was crazy or on the lake too much. But after a year, he decided to break his silence, so he didn't talk about it until the next year. Hmm. To scoffers who claim this is nothing more than a publicity stunt to boost tourist trade, he replied, Once you've seen the monster, you really don't care what other people say. (laughs) A fucking
1: man, brother.
0: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's great. I really agree with that sentiment. Yes, I really. He's, once you've seen a monster, you really don't yep. give two flying fucks if yep. so anybody else cares. Yep, he's one of us Just for say. sure. He's one of us. <laughs> 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 okay, well that was fantastic. Thank now you. Now I wanted to. So do... That's the bear-like monster. Yay. Now I really
1: want to do one of those like folklore boat ferry trips. That sounds really cool, actually right doesn't that sound like such a party um only if we bring mimosas oh yeah we could do that oh yes Um, so um i really love that because um it almost has like a frankenstein type of feel to it where everyone's afraid of this monster and then all you gotta do is like Play it some music, or show it some yeah. love, or treat it like a human being, and then he's like, "Oh, yeah, I'm cool, like
0: actually, let's, <laughs> totally. Let's cuddle and listen to some tunes. <laughs> I'm in."
1: But just like give me a couple of your finest milkers. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I ask. Yes. <laughs> this week for Utah, I chose this place called Skinwalker Ranch. For with the research that I've done, it is well known in the cryptid paranormal world, but when I wasn't in that world, I had no idea about it. So hopefully we can talk about this for the first time with a lot of people that are listening to this. This place is called Skinwalker Ranch. I am gonna call it Sherman Ranch, out of respect for um, the Native American people that live in that area. You're really not even supposed to mention the word Skinwalker, which I'll get into in a little bit. I'll give you a little bit of background So Sherman Ranch is a property located on around 500 acres southeast of Ballard, Utah. And it's pretty much in the northeast corner of Utah, kind of on the border of Colorado, slightly. Basically, Sherman Ranch is considered, according to the Navajo and the Ute people, um, it's considered the, it's in the path of the Skidwalker. And I'll just give you a really small description of what a skinwalker is, uh, which is an evil shaman that can turn into another being, a shapeshifter. Think of, like, werewolf, but slightly different. Um, and they steal souls. <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, look it up if you want, but I can't really say anymore. And the Ute people have always strongly warned against going to that area that is now the Sherman Ranch. In the Uinta Basin, UFO reports started in the early 1970s, a whole shit ton of them. And this will relate to the Sherman Ranch in a second here. George Knapp, who is a investigative reporter who took interest in this ranch, started writing articles about the sightings in the mid-90s. Colm Kelleher, who was a co-author with George Knapp, who subsequently... Um, authored a book in which they describe the ranch being acquired by the National Institute of Discovery Science. There's going to be a lot of a lot of uh, acronyms here, so I'm just going to okay. call this NIDS. When NIDS bought this ranch, they wanted to study anecdotal sightings of UFOs, but also Bigfoot-like creatures, crop circles, glowing orbs, and poltergeist activity reported oh. by its former. Owners. Oh, yeah. Fuck according yeah. to Wiki. So,
0: so, this is just a weird it's ass It's place. literally
1: just a hodgepodge of everything paranormal and extraterrestrial you could think of. It is so fucking awesome. <laughs> it is the most studied paranormal hotspot in the history of the world. Yeah. What? Cryptid sightings. Basically, if it's been talked about and if it's been seen anywhere in the world, it's been seen there. Everyone in the Uantau Basin, the whole community, has had some type of experience with unexplained phenomena in the sky and in and around their homes. So let me back up. A lot of this information that I'm getting is from this documentary that is on Hulu called Hunt for the Skinwalker. And this documentary is has the same name of the book by Colm and George Knapp, who was the investigative reporter that was basically there during all of the studies that NIDS was doing in the 90s. Wow. Um, So this is like extremely multifat. There's a lot of layers here. (laughs) So I'll try to do my best to explain it all. So everyone in the Yuan Basin has had some type of experience and the instances were palpable but fleeting. Um, So that is a phrase that I heard a lot in that documentary. Credibility was always in question. So from the moment the family moved in, the Shermans, they felt like they were being watched. They experienced a lot of poltergeist activity in their house, including tools and utensils would disappear, unpacked groceries, would be put back into their bags. Oh, weird. Yeah. <laughs> they had this, there was this one time where they had this pulse hole digger, basically this big like shovel that shovels downward. Um, it disappeared. And a couple days later, it was found 40 feet up in a tree. Postal diggers—they aren't—they aren't like heavy, but they're not light either.
0: You're you're talking about to dig a hole for a post yes. of a fence,
1: yeah? So like a, a tool that's like kind of the size of a shovel or a rake. Okay. Um.
0: So that would be pretty hard to get into a yes. tree. <laughs> it's fucking, <Okay>. it's fucking <laughs> that's just crazy.
1: Like, but the fact that right. I was like. Forty feet up in the tree.
0: Yes. That's impressive. So
1: um, they had, they were having a lot of these weird experiences, a lot of poltergeist activity at first. Nids. They partnered with the Department of Defense, and they worked together to study the ranch because they thought it was a national defense threat. So it was at the Whoa. point where they wanted to get to the bottom of these unexplained experiences because there were so many um, UFO sightings as well as just really weird, unexplained shit. Las Vegas billionaire who had an interest in the paranormal and extraterrestrials, Robert Bigelow, founded NIDS. So Robert Bigelow is pretty much the mastermind behind all of this studying.
0: That Can I just say that Las Vegas billionaire and person who is interested in the paranormal is my ideal <laughs> job title. That is what I right? want to be. Like, look at me. That is my dream. He, I am billionaire cryptid yeah, hunter. Let's know, living vicariously
1: through Robert Bigelow here. Just to put him in perspective, he had private space stations. He has government contracts. Yeah, and he. He would give millions of dollars to UFO organizations, but he would get frustrated because (laughs) they would never do the right thing with his money. So he was like, fuck it. I'm just going to make my own. Sick. Let's do it. Wow. I like this guy. (laughs) He's he's a fucking go-getter. It's great. Basically, what he did to create NIDS was he got credible scientists from every single field to study this ranch. Physicists, biologists astrochemists astrobiologists astrophysicists ecologists literally every single ist.
0: that's a good way to do it cover all the basics and like
1: these aren't just people that you know just graduated college and they call themselves a chemist like these people literally worked with they had like government contracts like everything that you know robert bigelow had connections with with the government and and the scientific community he brought people from those spheres Pretty much what they did was an outside field lab at this ranch. So they created, for example, they created like observation towers with fences around them. Um, They had dogs that they used as biological sensors. They installed surveillance cameras. They studied plant growth, soil composition, geomagnetic measuring. Even searched the property for hallucinogenic plants, which I thought was very smart actually um because yeah. <laughs> you never know man people might just be like tripping out in the desert and have no idea
0: right i mean that's what happened with the salem witch trials everybody was just eating bad <laughs> bread with mold in it that made them right. crazy and they're like it's right the devil. all of a
1: sudden think that women are hysterical <laughs> <laughs> this quote is directly taken from the documentary by what, what? oh jesus christ Morty forgetting people's names. Jeremy Corbell, I believe, is the name of the guy who produced, directed the documentary. He is, I think he's just a journalist, but he's also a very, very cute hunky man with tattoos. Yes. Ooh boy. (laughs) So George Knapp. (laughs) George Knapp said this in quotes. Some accounts have happened that have happened to people who are very credible who have had very dramatic encounters, and their stories have not been told for reasons that I cannot explain right now. But those are the spookiest of all, because the consequences go beyond the property. It leads to a much bigger place and a much bigger understanding of what we are dealing with out there. It's Mm -hmm. not simply a haunted ranch. It's not activity that stays confined to this particular piece of property. It moves, and it travels. The Sherman family had experiences that followed them for a while. And then he said, that's all I can say about it. Yeah. Whoa. (laughs) Yeah.
0: So it started at this place, but then the energy carried with this family even after it left. And I'm guessing
1: that that wasn't the first time it's happened. Like I said, a lot of this information comes from the documentary Hunt for the Skinwalker. It's on Hulu. I highly, highly suggest watching it. You, Caitlin, but also... The matches. Yeah. So I'm going to go into, like, these All accounts, right. which are so sweet. <laughs> I'm rubbing my know, hands I'm, together, I'm if excited. you can hear that. I'm so excited. <laughs> okay, so, so there's three homesteads on the property. Their first homestead is their house, where they live. The second homestead is just kind of these abandoned buildings, and there's a bunch of, like, little um corrals in that area. And then there's a third homestead, which... I don't really remember what that one is. So they kept seeing weird tracks, and they lost some cattle mysteriously. The family was on edge, so one day, Terry and his wife were driving around the second homestead. They saw four of their super expensive bulls in a corral as they were passing, and then they came back about an hour later, and they passed again, and the bulls were gone. Yeah. Whoa. So... They panicked, (laughs) as one would, and um, searched the corral, and out of instinct, climbed over a fence, walked over to a trailer, which was about 6 by 20, um, and it was still locked with a latch on it, Um, So, and that was the only opening. So there was no way that anything could have gotten in or out of that trailer. What Terry did was open the trailer, and all four bowls were in that trailer.
0: Wait, they the cows got yes in the trailer.
1: Yes, yes. And <laughs> I have to I have to like keep How? saying yes because it's like unbelievable. I, How? I, mean, oh, I yes. know,
0: I <laughs> know. Okay, okay, okay.
1: And they were in this really weird kind of dazed dream state, and <sighs> I'm getting really excited here. So um, Terry yelled to his wife that the bulls were in this fucking trailer which is tiny. They were like packed in like sardines. And because he yelled it for his his wife to come over, he woke up the bulls out of their trance and the bulls went crazy and kicked down the walls of the trailer and destroyed the trailer in minutes and dipped out of there real fucking quick. Wow. So it took, (laughs) this is crazy. It took the rancher, Terry and his wife four hours to herd the bulls back into the corral so, whatever p- forced these animals to cram themselves into the trailer, you—it's not even like fathomable. They got PTSD. <laughs> something.
0: They're not no, okay with what happened
1: to them. I wish, I wish okay. <laughs> cows could talk, man. So, man. something forced those animals to cram themselves into that trailer. And the craziest part is that the latch was was closed with a lock on it. The, the yeah. latch was shut. So. It was almost like, the way that Terry described it is that it was almost like the entity knew that the family was nervous about losing their bulls. So they played this type of prank on them.
0: Weird.
1: So, oh, what's also really crazy is that there was a strong magnetic field around the corral afterward when investigators came in and researched the area. Yeah, and they still have no idea... How the fuck that happened at all.
0: They never figured it out. And there was nobody else there that could have like brought them in there and closed the latch.
1: And and again, like it it took them four hours to herd the bulls back into the corral.
0: Right. Even getting
1: them into that trailer in general (laughs) would be just you can't do it. (laughs) It's crazy. Right. So that is the first account. And there's literally countless of them, so but I just picked the ones that I loved the most. Another one, kind of a short one, is cow mutilations, which is what I, I know, no. which is what I mentioned earlier. So, kind of some background: there was always an uptick in activity if the ground was disturbed in some way. So, if they were like, for example, digging post holes. Now I right, know what that is. Um, or uh, <laughs> you know, doing any type of construction just to the ground in general. Terry, and I think another investigator were on this ridge when they were looking out onto a pasture and all of a sudden they saw this mother cow in crazy distress. So they run over there and they see this <laughs> warning here. Cause it's, it's fucked up. They found this calf that was completely mutilated and I'll kind of go into, <laughs> I'll go, Oh, man. I'll go into uh, descriptions here. Um, yeah. Oh, gosh, I don't like this part. <laughs> so, so, when they found this calf, it was lying with all four limbs spread out. All the muscle was gone. The legs were still intact, but the ear of the cow was sliced off. Like, And it looked like it was sliced off surgically something sliced it off that was very very sharp like a sharp metallic instrument and kind of like what i was saying before about how the entity almost like knows that they're kind of freaking out about their cattle they lost about 30 cattle in total to these mutilations
0: yeah yep
1: so the entity was pretty much just like fucking with Terry at this point and during that amount of time, the 30 cattle that were lost was during like the time that the Shermans were there by themselves. And then as as well as the investigators being there, too. So. Wow. The craziest part is that the femur of the calf was like 10 feet away and it was ripped out of the bone socket, which is like super <gasps> fucking hard to do. You need to like that. That doesn't just you can't just like pop it out.
0: Like a regular human person wouldn't be able to do that? No, definitely not. Okay.
1: Especially in the way that it was found where it was, everything was intact. There was no blood on the scene whatsoever. Yeah. No sign of blood or entrails. So probably what they came to the conclusion of is that it was slaughtered somewhere else and just dropped there.
0: (laughs) Like, on a spaceship Who or knows something? Dude.
1: So... Who fucking I know, knows. I know. So, they pretty much found that it was potentially used as, like, a statement. Basically, the entity being like, Haha, fuck you. I can do this, and you can't do anything about it. They said in the documentary that it was, like, the entity could have been using it as, like, psychological warfare to shock oh witnesses God. because it was like the, the mutilations were so precise and, and so odd that like no obviously no predator would be able to do this and you know if a person were to do it they'd have to jump like three fence lines and get past like a bunch of surveillance cameras so the possibility that someone just came into the ranch and did this is very low so okay <laughs> I have two more stories let's okay. hear it okay All right. you're, you're into this
0: Cool. I'm so into this because <laughs> I fucking
1: love this shit. Okay. This third story is about uh, portals.
0: Oh I my know. God. I love portals. <laughs> Do you know a lot about portals? You like portals? I'm, I've recently taken a very keen interest <laughs> okay, in portals. Um, there is
1: a lot of talk about portals on the ranch. And there was, has been multiple sightings of these orange balls in the air that you could look through, and they had a different sky on the other end of it. And they use that phrase a lot, like a different sky. In August 1996, Terry and an investigator from NIDS were doing a sweep at night, and they saw this glowing orb again. And it was hovering around four feet off the ground, um, and it was kind of like a three, three feet opening and then they saw that it started to expand and grow, and it opened up even more. And during all this time, it's literally just hovering like four feet above the ground. They decided to put on their night vision goggles to see it a little better, because all they could really see was like this bright orange light. So when they put those night vision goggles on, they saw a 3D tunnel just hovering there. And all of a sudden, this humanoid started crawling through the tunnel.
0: <laughs> Shut up. No yeah. way.
1: of humanoid. humanoid. So basically, they just saw like like an eight foot tall silhouette that stepped onto the dirt road, ran into the darkness, and then the portal started to shrink and fade away. And then it just disappeared. Oh, so, Ooh, oh my so this God. is this is like two people at the same time witnessing this. One of yeah. them is Terry, who has been witnessing everything that's been happening on the ranch, and the other one is a scientific investigator from NIDS. So the fact that it's coming from two people and the story is the same, but also the type of people that these stories are coming from—it's—it's it's, right. It's not just you know, it's not just horseshit. It's there's something there. Oh my
0: <laughs> gosh! I'm so
1: <laughs> amazed. Okay, so. The last story is my favorite. This last story is about a possible dire wolf sighting. <gasps> oh! Yeah, <I> know. So, <laughs> and this happened literally days after Terry and his family moved onto to the ranch. They were unloading a moving truck onto their homestead. And they had this little corral where they had um, a couple little calves just chilling. And mm-hmm. then all of a sudden, across the field that's pretty much right in front of their first homestead. They saw this huge canine-looking thing, just trodden along, super, super casual. And when Terry talked to some investigators about the size of it, they pretty much thought that it was a dire wolf, which has been extinct for 10,000 years.
0: What?
1: Um, Assuming that it was a a pet, the wolf was a pet, they just kind of let it trot over. They actually pet it On the head, yeah. So it it walked up to them. Terry gave it a little pat, and then all of a sudden, it went to the corral. There was a calf that was like sticking its snout outside of the fence, and he suddenly grabbed that calf by the mouth and tried to drag it out of out of the corral. Yeah. So the corral is or the corral (laughs) the calf is going absolutely fucking nuts. So Terry and his son started hitting it with sticks, and then they. Hitting, hitting the, the wolf, wolf. sticks, yeah. And the wolf wasn't doing anything. It wasn't even noticing them. So they shot it with a 357 magnum from increasingly close range. So he was like shooting it while he walked towards it. <laughs> After the fourth shot, the wolf let the calf go but didn't yelp in pain or show any type of distress or blood or any wound or anything. And then they ran into the house and got a hunting rifle. And then they started using the hunting rifle with increasingly close range, and still no yelps at all. But the wolf backed up. They shot it a sixth time with the rifle, and saw the hey, and saw the um, flesh get off. Sorry, that was Evan spying on me. Hi, <laughs> um, They shot it a sixth time and saw they saw an exit wound on the wolf, and they saw flesh get shot off of it. But the hmm. wolf was still chill, and just, you know, kinda walked off. Which is crazy, because like, you know, one shot from just that 357 Magnum could have killed that thing. And the <laughs> fact that it got shot like four times with a shotgun is insane.
0: And can still yeah, walk away. Just casually. Yeah.
1: Uh, Terry ended up following the tracks afterward and they followed the tracks to this creek where they suddenly just disappeared. And the craziest part is that when they stopped and looked at the flesh on the ground, the flesh that they saw get kind of shot off, it looked old and decayed and like it was has been rotting for a few days.
0: Right immediately after yes. they shot
1: it? Yeah, so they like went and followed these footsteps, these tracks, and to the river where they disappeared. And then they walked back and found the piece of flesh and it was... Decayed and old looking.
0: So it's almost like the monster wolf was already dead?
1: Right. And that's why so many people believe that like there's some type of skinwalker in that area. Because they shape shift and they're undead. Mm. Okay.
0: (laughs) Now the pieces right. are exactly. starting to connect. Exactly, that's I'm, yes, I'm getting exactly.
1: it. What's really crazy is that like it was friendly at first, and Terry, like like I said, patted it on the head, so it was definitely like physically there. It wasn't a hallucination, and his son saw it too. So this was days after being on the ranch, and they talked about this for weeks afterward, and the wife actually saw, she saw another wolf that was around that size at, like the entrance gate accompanied by two black dogs that had like oversized heads there's there's some like really crazy unexplained shit going on a little bit more information to why this ranch is so mind-boggling is that nothing happened twice except for the UFO sightings so it's like the phenomena wanted the researchers to not find a pattern and to stay Mm. confused with what was happening at the ranch. Eventually, Bigelow sold the ranch to a new owner who has kept his identity secret up until recently because he wanted to protect his integrity and keep distractions to a minimum. He doesn't want people to know his involvement in this effort because he has an (laughs) quote-unquote empire that he has created publicly. So So they talk about that in the documentary a little bit, and they actually interview him. And at this point no one knew his identity. No one knew who the owner of the of the ranch was. The new one. I think and I think it was like actually the beginning of this year in 2020 or 2019, the person who owns the ranch came forward. His name is Brandon Fugel, and he's one of the most prominent businessmen and real estate developers in the Inner Mountain West. Um, so he's basically like this really big real estate dude that has created in Empire in Utah.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: He said that after this purchase all roads leading to the ranch have been blocked. The perimeter was secured and guarded by cameras and barbed wire and surrounded by signs that aim to prevent people from even approaching the ranch. So he created a lot of new security. And nothing has been released since those Bigelow tapes. Those George Knapp tapes. So I did forget to mention that. George Knapp, during these investigations in the 1990s, he videotaped everything, which Mm. you can see in the documentary. That's why I highly suggest everyone watch it because there's all of these stories that I told are from the documentary and are told either by Colm or George Knapp. There is this one theory that all of the cryptids and weird events that people see around the world come from these hot spots including this ranch yeah Ooh. so that involves mostly portals so <laughs> so cool so poltergeists bigfoot ufos it's almost like all of them are connected and come from this one type of place or this one place
0: oh yeah. that's kind of nice know. the thought of them all being like i know it's kind of cute just like imagine an alien hanging out with bigfoot Oh, I'm picturing like Bigfoot sitting at a bar with Mothman (laughs) and like. I love it. Just doing shots of fireball and talking about their lives. Who's just
1: scared of they, man?
0: Yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That is something that I could think about, I could talk about for hours. Just that theory alone. It's so fucking cool. There was this mid scientist who said that. The ranch became a testing ground to apply the scientific method. Excuse me. Obviously, the scientific method is, you know, create the hypothesis, test it, and figure out if your hypothesis is true. It's kind of the butchered Mm -hmm. explanation. And they couldn't do it. It isn't flexible to apply to something that doesn't repeat. So they tried to test using the scientific method, and they couldn't do it.
0: Because how can you create a hypothesis if you have no patterns to work on? Right, because if
1: there's, if there's no patterns, then they can't create an idea of what's going to happen next if that thing happens again, because right. it never did. Everything was always very new and very different. So, okay. Bigelow said at the very end of the documentary, it becomes obvious that we weren't the ones in control. We were mm-hmm. along for the ride.
0: Oh. <laughs> That is terrifying. Yeah, it's so cool. Wow. Yeah, it's- Thank you for sharing this with You're me. Welcome. I do have one yes. question. So, why are you not supposed to talk about the skinwalkers? Yes. So, it, the word itself is supposed to be cursed. So, if you say it, will it, like, attract them exactly. to you? Exactly. So, oh.
1: that's why I decided not to use it, and kind of want to respect the First Nations' wishes with right. that. I really tried to talk about these things in a way where I'm not crossing any boundaries or stepping on anyone's toes.
0: Right, okay. So Voldemort rules right. the exactly. <laughs> exactly.
1: It's definitely something that has been studied really, really heavily, and there's so much information out there about skinwalkers, but really what this story was about was kind of the scientific exploration of this piece of land. And the Skinwalker right. aspect is kind of just like the background.
0: But do they think that the Skinwalkers caused most of these phenomena to happen? Um,
1: In the documentary, they pretty much say that Skinwalker is almost like an umbrella term as well. So okay. it could be like any type of being that you see that's unexplained. Um, and I think that's was kind of the explanation in... Like Navajo and Ute lore, but I think I'm pretty sure that they just used the term Skinwalker Ranch because honestly, it was probably just catchy. And it's it's what's ridiculous is that the new owner actually copyrighted that phrase, that name. It's like, come on, dude, that's not even your word.
0: <laughs> like, fuck yeah, off. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah.
1: You know, typical white people shit. But that's, right, that is Sherman Ranch.
0: Wow, uh, great cool. job.
1: <laughs> Because I have literally made multiple friends watch that documentary with me.
0: Well, now I'm gonna definitely have to <laughs> yeah, watch it. Have
1: to. <laughs> it's fantastic, and I'll say it again. That documentary is called Hunt for the Skinwalker. It's on Hulu, and it's by Jeremy Corbell.
0: Thank you so
1: much. So yeah, I feel
0: like that's that's about it. Are we wrapping it. Yeah, sure. So yeah, this is our episode on Utah. Please let us know what you think about it. If you have any comments or suggestions, we would love to hear from you. If you enjoyed this, please consider subscribing to our podcast and giving us a rating. That would be super, super helpful. We're very excited to show you what our location next week will be. And we haven't decided (laughs) yet, so it'll be a surprise for everybody involved.
1: If if you want to find out, then just follow us on Instagram at... Queens podcast,
0: and yes. that is
1: the only social media we have right now so. It's just if you don't have
0: Instagram, sorry. By the time this comes out, we'll probably have a website and stuff. So we'll let that, we'll let you know. (laughs) But um, if you have any suggestions of places that you would like us to cover, we're hoping to focus on locations all across the globe, not just in the US. So if you have any ideas of local legends you'd like us to cover, please let us know on Instagram or in the show comments. And thank
1: you for (laughs) listening. And we definitely would love to hear. I know this is kind of a rip-off of My Favorite Murder, but we definitely, which is, like, <laughs> one of our favorite podcasts, by the way. Karen and Georgia
0: yeah, we're very inspired are our heroes. Them. They're amazing.
1: <laughs> um, but we would love to hear if there's any type of urban legends or lore from where you guys are from. I know that I have some from my hometown. and I, I've yeah, got a few
0: yeah, as I'd well. I'd
1: love to just talk about that as well.
0: Thank you so much for listening. I hope you have a great day, and... I don't know what else to say at the end. Oh, fuck. <laughs> keep, keep creeping. Keep, keep your eyes
1: peeled, yeah. queens.
0: Yeah, look out for those cryptids yeah. and junk. <laughs> tell them we love them. And sing them yeah, a song. they will join you. Sing them a tune. <laughs>